Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast, brought to you by Scoop News Group, why small cities might be the future of smart cities. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government community. You'll hear from top leaders and learn about the latest news and trends across the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Wisconsin state legislature is cracking down on the use of AI-generated deepfake materials in political campaigns. A new law passed last week requires election campaigns to disclose when political advertisements use, quote, synthetic media, defined as content that is substantially produced by generative AI. The new law requires campaigns to indicate the content was generated by AI at the beginning and end of all campaign media distributed to the public. Violators risk a penalty of up to $1,000 for each offense. The New Jersey State Police will receive more than $1.4 million in state and city funds to install automated license plate readers in and around Atlantic City, the state's attorney general says. The funds will cover the purchase of 120 new license plate readers and should roll out in the next several months. Ohio has released an AI toolkit for K-12 educators to provide districts with resources to develop their own resources for using AI in the classroom. The toolkit, which was developed alongside the nonprofit AI Education Project, includes template guidelines for education leaders to use in the creation of policies best suited for their own communities. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. For the town of normal Illinois, being, quote, smart is not just about embracing fun, flashy new technologies. Instead, it's about using the limited resources available to a small city environment efficiently and to maximize its impact. The city, which is in the central part of the state, has more than 54,000 residents. They first released a smart cities plan in 2018. Vasu Gadiraji is the town's CIO. She, along with Sarah Shalinsky from her team, tell me about normal's approach to smart and what that means for the city's future. Smart cities, as you know, the name itself um, means different things to different communities. Normal, um, uh, here in normal, smart cities has been defined uh, in our comprehensive plan that was adopted in 2018 um, to essentially say smart cities are, are those that can effectively use power of data and technology to, take, to cater to the changing needs of its citizenry. Um, and to solve current and future challenges and creating exciting services. Um, So I think really in its simplest terms, smart city is something that embraces innovation to change the way government operates and delivers services. So that is the, it's it's more of a mindset um, and, and a culture than a destination. Like, you know, you don't arrive at becoming a smart city. It is about the approach that you um, that you take. It's the culture that you embed. And that's how the comprehensive plan for the town defines smart city. And as you can imagine, it's broad. Um, and for every city, um, you know, a, a definition that's kind of similar, um, I think is embraced within within their uh, municipalities. Within the town, the approach that we took, and this is town's philosophy through and through, town is, town of normal is different than most small municipalities where we actually plan our work and work our plan. That has been that has been town's philosophy for a very long time. Since you are just um, uh, kind of not too far from here, you might have seen this change um, uh, bring about uptown normal from what used to be just five point intersection that was not doing very well to a very thriving economic development center in the town. 
So we do like to plan our work and work our plan. So from a technology perspective, what I would say from smart cities is we really wanted to actively listen to what our, our departments were asking for, what our departments were saying about where they see technology and innovation uh, overlap and intersect. So our very first, before we even put um, a, a pen to the paper, we really kind of did one-on-one um, uh, -on -one interviews with a lot of our departments. We went through, sat down with departments for multiple hours, depending on uh, the size of the department and their technology needs. And it was a listening session. It was gathering information. We had prompting questions because sometimes it's very easy um, especially in technology space, like, you know, the first thing that comes to your mind is what's broken, what needs to be fixed. So, you know, we, our, our listening session included all of that, but also had questions prompting them to think farther, think about, you know, visioning. Like if everything was working perfectly uh, and resources weren't a constraint, what, what would you like to see? So we we had both. Uh, we gathered input on their frustrations and some of the things that are uh, that they want done differently. But also, more importantly, like if if we were to kind of become a smart city, what what should that look like for their particular department? I will tell you that was a very impactful session uh, or uh, groups of sessions. This was done in two thousand nineteen. Um, and I was, I just came on board. So it was perfect uh, where it kind of gave me an opportunity to really truly understand the needs. I would strongly encourage anybody uh, in the technology department to do this periodically. Um, partly because we, if we send out surveys, people fill out surveys, but most often um, what you're seeing reflected in those surveys is what's on their mind at that point in time. When you sit down and actually go through and meet with them one-on-one -on -one and kind of have these prompting questions, you will actually get a much more deeper, richer um, feedback that you would not get from a, a feedback survey. So we do, uh, we did receive a lot of valuable information that eventually then became the foundation for our strategic plan that we built. But as you know, uh, at the end um, of 2019, early 2020 is when we all had to kind of quickly pivot and address COVID-related challenges. Um, but we we uh, kept checking a lot of boxes based on what we heard and used that feedback later to develop a strategic plan. Um, we now have a, a strategic plan, first of its kind for our department. It's INT strategic plan and our smart city 1.0 roadmap. And I'll explain why I call it 1.0 roadmap is because um, in the town, we truly do believe in uh, community engagement and interaction. What we did is we went through all our departments. We looked at uh, community feedback coming from our websites. We looked at, uh, um, you know, we have various tools like Zen City that kind of collects social feedback and things like that. So we used all of that. So we, I'm not going to say this is this this plan was uh, does not include um, community feedback. It does in a secondary way. We have not gone out to the community. Um, uh, to primarily gather, like, what do you want a smart city to look like? And there is a very good reason for that. For any municipality our size, 
um, capacity is a huge deal. Like a smart city is something um, that should truly uh, make things more efficient um, with um, ideally uh, not as many uh, resources as, as it would take otherwise, right? So that is that is the ultimate goal. But majority of the time, small municipalities is like a chicken and egg. Uh, you need resources to kind of eventually save resources. We need to build that capacity. So initially we wanted to turn inwards and make sure that we actually had a good plan in place that would serve the needs of our departments, gain their trust, make sure that our infrastructure uh, that needs to support um, uh, bigger, better things uh, is in place, is scalable, is secure. So we needed to build all these foundations. Um, a lot of this is, um, is all part of building your smart city. Um, and, and I always like to explain smart city as uh, stages. It's, it's a journey, it's not a destination. And uh, anytime we, we kind of do these presentations, I say, let's think about smart cities on a five point scale. This is not something I came up with. Um, this is widely used in the industry. The five point scale where one being uh, you are using technology incidentally and five being you have a system of systems approach and you you have a, the most efficient um, um feedback loop uh, to um, departments kind of aligning, organizations aligning in a region, so on and so forth. So many municipalities, we are probably all at level one. Absolutely, because we've all been using technology for a really, really long time. Um, maybe some of us are even on level two where we have uh, we we have um, uh, some departmental efficiencies achieved in, in uh, using technology and data. But really, um, where we we where we truly start to see benefits is when we have a strategic plan. Well, being uh, bringing that intentionality into the fold, and and once that strategic plan is in place, then starting to execute that plan and delivering on the promises, right? Um, because there is nothing like it to actually have a plan and and uh, make it sit on a shelf, and people don't know what's going on with it. So this is where I, I really want to highlight the importance of dynamic plans. Earlier I said, this is Town of Normal's philosophy. So it is very easy for us as a department to embrace this philosophy, plan your work and work your plan. And that's what we are doing. And to work your plan, I have, I, I, I am a huge proponent of having project management approach. Um, although, you know, uh, a lot of corporations have big project management departments, municipalities should embrace that project management approach within um, their technology department. So here in Innovation and Technology, I am so happy to say that we do have a project manager, uh, Sarah Selinsky, and I am going to um, turn it over to her to talk about how we keep our plan dynamic um, and, and continuously act on it. Thanks, Basu. Just like you said, to have a plan, it's also important to execute on that plan. So um, that happens kind of at two levels within our INT department. First, every year, about six or seven months before the next budget comes out, we start talking about what projects departments are still interested in, 
How have priorities changed? So we start that conversation early to continue to cultivate the culture around planning ahead, being strategic, um, planning our resources ahead, because at the end of the day, technology is changing all the time. It could break at any moment. And so we have to be dynamic with what we're doing, where we're spending our time. And in a small municipality, we have a small team. So um, project management is our way of making sure that we can keep our efforts as balanced between the day-to-day -day operations and the forward thinking. So again, when we think about um, the upcoming budget, we're taking in project requests pretty early in the process. So we're always thinking about where we're going in the next year or the next few years, but then also keeping a pulse on, on what we're doing today. So I'll pivot and kind of talk about the day-to-day -day operations and project management and why it's important. Um, when I started on in the fall of 2022, we brought on a robust project management system. And by ro robust, I'll use that lightly to say it's robust for us. That being said, there are huge systems out there that touch on a lot of different things, but it's important to start small and grow. We realized that very early. We brought on a system. We were very excited to use it, and it exploded very fast. And we realized that it was very difficult to manage a system when we need to think about procedures at a smaller scale. So we kind of scrapped that and restarted within the same system and just started with the basics. And we put together a list of all of our projects um, and we grouped them by, by programs of similar projects. And each of those programs aligned with one of five of our goals within our department that aligned with our comprehensive plan. And then it connected to our town strategic plan. And that was important for us to understand what are we doing today? And how does that impact where we're going in the future? And how does it fit within that big picture? So some things that we track on day-to-day -day are our timelines, some basic benefits, like is this project making things more efficient? Is it um, saving us time? Is it saving us money? We're also looking at things like budget. So we're looking at our projects within the fiscal year and that really helps us with communication and with a lot of things that are going on. That's very typical for a technology department. It's very easy for things to fall through the cracks as priorities change. Um, so having things documented and having a list that I can look at every day and say, okay, I need to check in with this person about this project and I need to touch base with this person in another department to tell them where we're going. It really helps us keep our boots on the ground and understand the progress that we're making and communicating that. And as a result, we've seen um, tremendous benefits from it. We are building trust amongst our departments. Um, as we are cultivating that forward thinking approach, we have an idea of, of where things are shifting, where priorities are changing, and we can kind of get ahead of those a little bit quicker than before when we didn't have this plan and a project management tool. So it really helps us stay uh, within our lane and on track. And as we deviate, um, it helps us get back a lot quicker and, and communicate better. So I'm biased because I think about these things every day, but I think it really has made a huge difference in the way that we execute our smart city plan and our smart city journey, because it helps us be accountable and is a single source of truth that we can share, not only within our department, but with other departments as well. So thanks for touching on that, Basu.
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, going back to Sarah's point about the things we track, um, it's it's important to note that, you know, when we talk about smart cities, you know, some of us who are um, thinking about this all day long, we could be thinking about projects to say, hey, where does this project fall on a smart city scale that we're talking about? And we kind of include that in our project management um, uh, uh, spreadsheet or, or smart sheet, and we share it back with uh, with our departments. So every time as they're interacting with their projects, they see which part of their projects are kind of contributing to the overall smart city journey. I think that's an important one, uh, more as a educational tool, because when we talk about smart cities, um, it is a buzzword. And sometimes, you know, it could mean a lot of different things to different people. Like, it's not about flying cars. It is actually about things that that we are working on right now. Um, and a couple of uh, projects that I want to highlight here, Jake, is the first one um, I think uh, that we have embraced very well is our data journey. We recognized the town has a wealth of data, and it is important for us to be organized around data and, and make sure that we have a good plan around it. So another one that I'm super proud of is our data specialist. It's a, you know, if you if you look in uh, municipalities that only have 10 people uh, total, it is um, not often do you see positions like a project and resource manager and a data specialist, but I, I really feel that these type of positions are key for uh, the innovation part of your department to, to continue to grow. Um, and, and our data specialist was very instrumental in kind of getting us uh, um, going on several projects. We really did not want to start from scratch. We are true believers of we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So we have embraced uh, what works city's journey for our data. Uh, if if um, your viewers uh, don't know what that is, uh, what works cities is a certification process from Bloomberg Philanthropies to really help municipalities understand, you know, how to better um, be a data-driven organization. And it's very public sector focused, so it helps us. Um, uh, it helps us call us around um, things that we need to get done. So we are uh, shooting for silver level certification uh, by 2025. Uh, what that means is we are going to um, complete certain criteria. So we have a really good data governance plan. We have our open data portal, um, and and and. I think there is something to be said about um, when you are organized with your data, it becomes easier. I'll never say it's easy, but it becomes easier to be more transparent to the public. The one, I think, crown jewel of our open data that we get a lot of accolades on is our uh, community investment plan. Uh, in years past, it used to be a nice thick book where if you want to know where your dollars are being invested in the community, you really had to understand a lot of uh, public sector finances and, and understand uh, how to read a, a CIP document. While we still have the document, we have digested that into an interactive uh, interactive map on our open data portal. So all people would have to do is kind of type their address and see what's happening in their neighborhood, what's being invested, uh, and using what type of funds. And if they have questions about that project, they can click on it and go straight to that person. 
Um, and that type of project would not be possible without uh, really putting some foundation together. Like it took us about two to two and a half years to really organize ourselves, make sure our applications are not siloed, make sure our applications are talking to each other uh, so that data becomes more intelligent um, and not just sits in a siloed um, application format. So I think it took a lot of work to break down those silos um, and, and kudos to our data specialist who was able to uh, get through all of that. Um, but more importantly, we are able to now showcase all of that data on our open data portal. Um, and, and if you go to our open data portal, you'll see, you will not see a ton of data sets on there, but the data sets that are on there will be meaningful, will be utilized. Um, and those that are meaning uh, pertinent to our community, we keep them up to date um, to make sure that we are not we are not posting data for the sake of it. Um, that's another huge philosophy for us. We don't want to just be doing things to look like we are smart. Um, we need to be doing things because they are smart. So for example, a lot of our open data, uh, data sets are those that we have been getting a lot of requests around. So by posting it on there, it is, um, you know, we get less FOIAs, we get less queries, so people can go there and browse and get that information themselves. It's more convenient. Um, I, I think, um, you know, having the right policies and, and framework to be able to get to that point, um, we are very proud of that. And I, I, another piece that I would add to this is when we talk about open data portal in small municipalities, it is a scary, uh, a scary venture because you don't know what, what we're asking for, right? So what we did before we rolled out a public open data portal is we have an internal open data portal. So departments understood what it is we're talking about um, and not having to worry about, um, not having to worry about, you know, what will be published out there without them knowing. So they were able to um, uh, digest that data. They were able to uh, approve the data. Um, and that's the data that gets pushed on. And a lot of this is automated. There is no physically uploading Excel spreadsheets to things or, or anything like that. That's great, Basu. There, there's so so much there to to touch on. I, I would say maybe to to close in the in the minute or so that that we have left. I mean, when you talk about the the data driven piece to a smart city effort, and you talk about how vital uh, this approach to smart cities are in a town like Normal, uh, what does that make you think uh, about the future? What do you what do you feel that that enables you and your team to to get done? Oh my God, yes, uh, quite a bit actually. So uh, now that we have a pretty decent hold on our data governance pieces, I'm really hoping that we could start utilizing data more for predictive analytics and things that we could actually equip our departments with. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, AI coming down. Um, I, I think at this point, we really are all ears uh, to make sure that we have the right governance and policies in place. 
and and when we talk about AI, um, it's about what you feed it. It's about uh, how good uh, the data or information that's being fed to AI is to then get good output, right? So we want to make sure that we have um, a really solid understanding of um, of our data um, and have good policies in place so we can um, start having our data tell us um, where we are headed, right? Um, uh, show us insights that we can't just automatically see um, without all the data. Vasu Gadiraji, the CIO for the town of Normal, Illinois, along with Sarah Shalinsky, the project and resource manager for the town. You can read more about them and their work in Normal at statescoop.com and it links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. That small extra step helps more people like you find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher all put it together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.